In this jam-packed episode, we look at the 1956 season and we have a lot to get through. It's the Melbourne Olympics, so teams are fighting it out for the Olympic Premiership. Also, there's some Aussie rules played at the Olympics. There's also another new initiative, the Knight Premiership. A new jumper is suggested at one club, while a new nickname is suggested at another. Melbourne are kicked out of their home. Essendon hang on Coleman's knee. St Kilda get the killer instinct. North fall apart at the seams. And Geelong continue to be a force to be reckoned with. All this and more after our song. It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazmats To hear what they all have to say Welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast, the Australian Rules Football History podcast, taking a deep dive into the history of the game. Uh, we are sad Essendon and Melbourne supporters who get no real joy out of football at the moment, so we like to relive the past, especially this being not the Kick to Kick podcast at the moment, the Melbourne Football Club uh, fanboys appreciation club. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a great time to be alive, Tim. <laughs> I went on a bit of a ramble there, but... No, we're with you. The truth. Charlie, Kazman, welcome. That Great to see you. Moz will be joining us shortly, I believe. Thanks um, for joining us. Welcome. Welcome to another year of Melbourne dominance. Don't you love it? Yeah. I mean, I do. <laughs> Ratty is on top of his game. Yeah. Everyone. It's all um, looking good. Hello, listeners in Portugal, Brazil, Ireland, Malaysia, and the US states of Iowa, Idaho, and Missouri. Fantastic. Yeah, we're getting around. Thank we're you. really spreading. We're around. Spreading the love. Yeah, keep telling people. Yeah, because there's so many Melbourne fans out there to me. Yes, and <laughs> speaking, what it is. Of, speaking of Melbourne, I, I believe in some of my off-season research, I've discovered that Melbourne had a coach in 1911. Yes, which I have let, let the club know. Fantastic. I'm sure they appreciated my feedback, and supposedly they're going to change their honour board. They might add Alex Joker Hall up there as the. Uh, yeah, because he left and then he came, came back. back. Yeah, but they so we knew he was back in 12. Yeah. But there was no one there in 11. No, but there's evidence. If you look through Trove and all the newspaper articles... It he says he was there. Pretty sure he was there. So, yeah, hopefully we see that change happen and, you know, I probably won't get the credit, but... Give me the credit. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. I'll give it to you. Thanks, Charlie. I'm yeah. giving you the credit. All right, 1956. Um, would you like to hear some songs that were... Kazman, I know you'd love to. Yes, please. Uh, here we go. Uh, Mac the Knife by uh, Satchmo. Oh, yeah. Louis Armstrong. And The Platters with The Great Pretender. Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah, so we're really great song. Era of, yeah, yeah. Like every, every song from now on we should know. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, they're great. And if we don't, what's the punishment? Whipping. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> Alright. For me it must be worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, did uh, anything happen in fifty six? Yeah. I, I mean know, I know some things did. Lots of stuff happened in fifty six. It was a great year. Yes. Great year in Melbourne, you know? It was. The entire world's eyes were on Melbourne in fifty six. Yes. <laughs> uh so starting uh, Starting at the start, <laughs> on the 26th of January, we had the 1956 Winter Olympics open in uh, Cortina d'Ampezzo in Italy. Mm. Uh, in uh, On the 22nd of February, another song, uh, Elvis Presley entered the charts for the first time with Heartbreak Hotel. There you go. On the 23rd of February, uh, Norma Jean Mortensen legally changed her name Marilyn to Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. 
on the 14th of April, videotape was first demonstrated at the 1956 uh, convention in Chicago by Ampex. Okay, so is that the World's Fair sort of thing? Yeah, kind of a modern day, yeah, I don't know what it is, yeah. On the 27th of April, we had the heavyweight boxing champion Rocky Marciano retiring without losing a professional boxing match. Wow. He didn't have to come back to make extra money. No, no. no. He actually retired. Yeah, he actually retired, wow. yeah. On uh, the 10th of June, we had the 1956 Summer Olympics Open in Stockholm. Mm. It was the equestrian events. Wow. They were held in Stockholm in Sweden this year. All other events, of course, held in Melbourne. Yeah. Classic trivia night, curly question. Yeah. yeah. Equine, equine flu, is that what they were worried about? I don't know. It's <laughs> only horses and there was, Yeah, and there was something going on. Uh, on the 31st of July, we had in uh, the cricket between England and Australia, Jim Laker set an extraordinary record at Old Trafford in the fourth test. He took 19 wickets in a first-class match. So he took all but one wicket for, uh, yeah, incredible. On the 13th of September, we had the hard disk drive invented by IBM. Yeah. Uh, after that, early November, we had the Melbourne Cup. Winner uh, was Evening Peel this year. And on the 22nd of November, we had the Summer Olympics beginning in Melbourne, Australia. And uh, so, do you know who lit the flame? I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an AFL footballer. VFL. VFL, yep. yeah, VFL footballer. Uh, remind me, it was a very fa- very strong family heritage. Uh, it was Essendon's third 18 footballer and junior champion athlete, Ron Clark. Yes. Oh. Son of uh, Essendon's best and fairest winner, Tom Clark, and brother of uh, Jack, Jack Clark. Clark. Yeah. That's it, yeah. He was the Olympic flame. Wow, good. footy really is at its cultural yeah, yeah. peak <laughs> right in there. Get to the light the right flame. in there. Amazing. Uh, would you like to hear a couple of people who were born this year? Always. So we're sticking with Australia this time around. It didn't go anywhere else. Okay. We've got David Kosh, the television personality. <laughs> Ernie Dingo, the yep. great man. Uh, another great man, Unipingu, the Yothu Yindi musician. And Shane Gould, the swimmer. So there you go. So they're all the births? They're just a, just a short selection just of the births, yes. Okay. <laughs> right, well... Let's get to some league news, shall we? Oh, yes. Because it's football season, and that's the reason it's the time of the year that we love. 1956. So, in March, Bill McClelland, at the age of 81, handed over the leadership of the VFL to Carlton President Sir Kenneth Luke. And it's been going downhill ever since. <laughs> <laughs> uh, McClelland was of ill health and needed to step away, as did Secretary Mr. L.H. McBrien. That's uh, some big changes there. Changes McClellan's been in charge for a while. Yeah, huge. Yeah. yeah, and we know Kenneth Luke is up to the, up to the challenge as well. Yeah, we like to think so. We like to think so. Yeah. Um, round nine was almost called off because of the quagmire that were the grounds. Every season seems to be wet at the moment. Yeah, really very. Wet. Hmm. Um, the league didn't in the end, telling all clubs to take better care of their grounds. Basically. Oh, really? Yeah. Just just sort it out. Yeah. Um, Experiments conducted in 1956 involved three closed-circuit telecasts of three of the finals matches and the live broadcast of the Olympic Games demonstration match. Yeah. Um, so, you know, TVs... This was, the begin- this was the real changing point in that because the Olympics were here. I remember stories, you know, my old man was a young boy at this stage. They didn't have a TV, but they went, you know, went round to the neighbours who did have a TV to watch mm. the Olympics. And this was the beginning of people being like... 
we need a TV. So it yep. was the start, the real start of the broadcasting. Yeah. Uh, Kaz, we got two umpire debutants. Yes, we do. We've got Ken Wolf and Frank Schwab. Nice. Yeah. Wolfie. Wolfie. Okay. Um, and uh, and the timings of this year changed a lot. Did they? Well, we got pushed forward a little bit because oh, the grand yeah, entered the, yeah, which happened in the 2000 Olympics as well. Yeah. yeah. So the, we got brought forward. The entire season commenced early, and uh, yeah, so the grand final was the 15th of September. Yeah, which yeah. is quite early. Um, all right, so was that comfortable? Australian rules football was a demonstration sport at the 1956 Olympics. So Amazing. On the whole world got to see it. The whole world. Lucky them. <laughs> so on the 7th of December, a Friday, it was a curtain raiser to a soccer match to decide third and fourth place between Bulgaria and, Indi- and India. So everyone would have been shooting him for that oh, one anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> Those, yeah. Those so, Bulgarians. <laughs> the teams were made up of a combined team of amateur players from the VFA and VFL against a team of uh, Victorian Amateur Football Association players. Oh, yes. Because yes. that's the whole thing with the Olympics. It's supposed to be amateur. Yeah. Well, it w- was. Yeah. yeah. They've ch- kind of changed the rules a little bit with a few um, sports, but yeah. And there is footage of this match as well, because they, as we said, they... Um, live stream. They live streamed it. Yep. <laughs> so in front of 21,236 people, there was a game. So here's the team. There we go. Uh, from the back line, we've got Ray Gablich... Of Collingwood, Vic Naismith of Richmond, Brian Walsh of St Kilda, halfback line Jack Sassella of Coburg, John West- Westacott of Footscray, Brian Callopy of Melbourne. Centre line is Laurie Dwyer of North Melbourne, Barry Gaze of Paran, who is I think the uncle of Andrew, Andrew Gaze. Gaze. Yeah. Brendan Edwards of Hawthorne. Half forward lines Ken Turner of Collingwood, Neil McNeil, Neil McNeil of South Melbourne, <laughs> Brian Gray of Collingwood. Forward lines. Frank Dunnan of Richmond, Dave Plunkett of Box Hill, Des, Des Tobin of North Melbourne, followers being Dennis Cordner as captain, uh, Keith Woolner of Northcote as vice captain, Ray Allsop from Richmond in there as well, the reserves being KC Marshall and TJ Hussey, with uh, Bruce Andrew as coach. Okay, interesting. Yeah. And I believe there's a few names that I would have thought would have been in there that aren't there, but maybe it was because it's after the season. Maybe there's a few people who were just like, nah. Yeah, and quite a lot of these players are actually very young as well, apart from Dennis Cordner, really. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and one little fun fact is Lindsay Gaze was on the reserve list. Yeah, I don't think he played, but he was on the reserves for the VAFA for the amateur side. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, so the final scores were the VAFA actually winning 12-9-81 to the VFL VFA 8-7-55 well, there you go 26 point win 26 point win for the amateurs yeah awesome. so shall we uh, travel up that ladder from 12 to 1 let's let's do it smack bang on the bottom is North Melbourne <laughs> they finished with Oh my goodness, my eyes and my brain. They finished <laughs> with three wins, 15 losses, and 69.6 as their percentage. Yes, so this year, uh, coached by Charlie Gorgian, I want to say. Yeah. You tell me if I'm pronouncing that yeah, wrong, please, I, people, yeah. in the, people out there in the world. Uh, captained by Bob Brooker, their best and fairest winner was Jack Edwards. And we'll leave their leading goal kicker to last. We yeah. thought we'd change that around this, this time. Um, Jock McCorkill was their coach the year before, Charlie. He quit at yes. the end of last season, um, and Gordian was hired in November, having been a solid player at both Footscray and North Melbourne. So he'd been 
familiar with the club. Some debutantes include Charlie Marendez, Marendez and Del Dozy. Del Dozy. Del Dozy, yeah. I love it. <laughs> That's how um, I feel right now. <laughs> yeah. And two other players, Noel Teasdale and Laurie Dwyer. Kaz. Okay, Laurie Dwyer. Nickname? Twinkle Toes. Nice. Oh. Love it. That's where it came from. Courageous and Determined. Um, that doesn't go with Twinkle Toes. Well, maybe. Um, uh, Dwyer became um, the 1956... Began the 1956 season as an under-19s captain, but was soon in the senior team after... Th- um, even though his father Leo, the chairman of selectors, uh, thought he should have a longer grounding in the junior sides, um, so he was a lightly built champion whose brilliance on the wing was summed up in his nickname Twinkletoes. Oh, I like it. <laughs> Great. And um, Noel Teasdale. So yes, Tim Noel Teasdale uh, from North Melbourne. He was a tireless footballer who could run all day and had fierce determination. He was superbly fit and had great strength all around. And I'm building this up because he was famous for an insidious head clash. In 1964, he clashed heads with teammate Ken Dean. Um, he he wasn't kicked in the head, but as some legends say, it, he was seriously injured. Must have been some sort Ooh, of we'll maybe not 64. Stephen King sort of style, but <laughs> um, he lay in the St Vincent's Hospital and diced with death. Oh, um, to his tremendous credit, Teasdale came back, and his strong uh, and his strong game did not diminish in the least. Uh, in fact, we, we shouldn't really be talking about it in that way these days, should we? But no. um, I guess that just reflects something. Um, so, in fact, he um, his game improved, and thereafter, Alan Aylett was. Um, and after Alan Aylett was put out of uh, the game by a broken arm, he took over as skipper. Okay. Um, to p- and um, so, yeah, that's a little bit about Noel Teasdale. Lovely. Thank Fantastic. you, Kat. Um, now, there's a real reason North Melbourne's at the bottom of the ladder here because they had uh, some pre-season elections to kind of rebuild the committee uh, and these tore the club apart. Both clubs, both sides ran smear campaigns against each oh, other. Oh, no, nah, never <laughs> One side... Um, one, one Mr. Sol McDermott was running and was branded a communist by the other side. <laughs> so really... It's the worst thing you can say about someone in the 50s. I love yeah, it. Yeah, and remember the last season, they had those two players who were cut out of the team because That's they right. didn't show yeah, the right yeah, attitude. Yeah, yeah, So things have been brewing at North Melbourne for a while, so things have really fallen apart. But round one, they beat the Saints by 57 points. Kevin Easton kicked four goals. They're on top of the ladder. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> um, then five losses followed. In the round three, lost to Essendon North's Brian Johnson had the nerve of his eye damaged by an opponent's finger. Wow. He lost the sight and that eye and never played again. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No. In round seven, they beat South Melbourne. North's willingness to go in and get the ball was a powerful factor in its win. Coach uh, Charlie Gordian said... Um, <clears throat> we had command whenever our players used long kicks and kept the play open. Our half-forward line really functioned for the first time this season and uh, that made a big difference in our attack. Round 16 was another win. I mean, they're coming few and far between here. This time against Fitzroy after eight straight losses. First pre-game, Mr. Kenneth Luke, a VFL president, shook hands with the team who had lined up before the game. Then Brian Johnson, the partly blind North star, was led <laughs> out into the ground at three-quarter time to mingle with his teammates, build morale. Uh, and finally, North had a big win. Jock Spencer kicked five goals against Fitzroy. He cleverly made another one for teammate Alan Aylett. Um, so in this instance, as the ball was rolling out of bounds, he raced alongside it and hit it on the bounce back over his head. Aylett snapped it up and ran into an open goal. Love that. Um, 
Leading goal kicker. Leading goal kicker was the great man Jock Spencer with yeah. 40. Had to be, didn't okay. it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a bit low for his standards, though. Yeah. yeah. Well, in a team that finishes last. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. tricky. So, second last was St Kilda. They had four wins, one draw, 13 losses, and finished on 88%. Yes, so coached by Alan Killigrew, captained by Keith Drynan, he also won their best and fairest. Right, this is, this is a real change of season for uh, St Kilda. This is where things start to turn around. Okay. I know you've been waiting, Charlie, for 50-something episodes. I have. I have. I'm glad things are starting to turn. Uh, so pre-season, Bob Wilkie and others convinced the committee to go after former player Alan Killigrew, and armed with a tape recorder of his halftime address at a Ballarat Grand Final, they were able to convince the committee that he was the man for the job. Um, folklore has it that Wilkie, Graham, and Alex Peake visited Ballarat with a newfangled tape recorder to record him uh, his pre-match address but they were unable to get it to work and finally got it working at halftime. So <laughs> and apparently it still exists. Ooh. So, Alan Killigrew was appointed St Kilda coach in 56. He wanted the Saints to adopt a more aggressive image. One idea he had in July, Moz, was uh, to change the jersey. Ooh, yeah. and did he succeed in that? Well, he did not. Yeah. Um, so they were looking for a new change. They're keeping the colours, but changing it. Mm-hmm. Um, they were looking to change it to the South Australian state side, so like a V with the black and white so the black and red no black and white there and red body okay. so there's a picture there from the record we'll put that up oh, on oh yep yes. like a yoke there you go yeah like Port Adelaide wear now mm. yes yep yep uh, but it made many St Kilda fans very angry and it never happened <laughs> <laughs> um, also pre-season Killigrew was after new players and went on a big recruiting drive so much so that in the last practice match the team of new recruits beat the seniors team by eight goals. Wow. Jeez, that, doesn't that tell you a lot? 26 players were dropped off the 55 list. Yeah. The beginning of a new era. Wow. Uh, so some new recruits included uh, Bud Anand, Paul Dodd, Alex Cuthbertson, Brian McCarthy, Brian Walsh, and Bill Young. Billy Young. Billy Young. The Saints lost their first six games, though, so it wasn't a great start. Uh, but they were no longer being annihilated each week. Uh, round seven, they took on Richmond, and pre-game, Killigrew told them... This is the one you will win, and I'll accept no excuses. This is your game. Bill Young kicked three goals straight in the opening quarter, and they ran away from there. Uh, Bill Anand added three uh, as well. Post-match, Killigrew told his men... No side will ever take us cheaply again. That I guarantee. Yeah, he was quite the preacher, Killigrew. Like, he was really a great or- orator. Yeah. Orator, yeah. Yeah, really, really good. Um, they put up a fight against reigning premiers Melbourne. They led Collingwood into time on and gave Geelong a huge fright at Cardinia Park. All this was leading to round 12, where they recorded a huge win against North Melbourne. Bill Young was their star, kicking eight goals. And the team had an 11-goal-to-one final quarter, which made Saints fans very happy. They kicked 20 goals, nine, which was their highest score since 1937. Round 13, the Saints pulled off a glamour victory for the season with a hard-earned one-point win over the Doggies. Hey. <laughs> when it seemed like the dogs would pull away, the Saints fought back desperately. Bill Young kicked six straight to help the Saints to victory. Uh, coach Alan Killigrew led the fans onto the field when they won, tearing onto the ground, <laughs> hugging and dancing with the players. <laughs> then at last they got to the rooms. They cheered and sang and laughed as if they had won the premiership. <laughs> <laughs> and even the most fanatical Bulldogs fans had to applaud and admit that they had earned it. Oh, that's... <laughs> They lost three of their final four games, but no more than they lost by no more a margin than three goals. Yeah, uh, good turn. Finished on a, on a high with a five point thrilling win over Richmond. 
things finally turning around. Leading goal kicker? Leading goal kicker, I mean, who else could it be? Bill Young, Bill as you Young. just said, with 56. For a, a, a new player, that's pretty... Yeah, brand new I mean, player, no, absolutely. No no and he started uh, early in the season. He had a shocker, though, against Essendon. He had seven shots for goal, uh, six behinds and one out of bounds on the full. <laughs> oh. So he pulled himself together after yeah. that, I think. <laughs> All right, finishing in 10th is Richmond with six wins, 12 losses and 86.8%. Yes, so the Tigers this year, uh, coached by Max Oppie. We yeah. talked about that at the end of last year. Uh, well, last Panem year, left, Panem left, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, captained by Des Rowe and their best and fairest winner was Laurie Sharp. Yeah, so Max Oppie back as coach, Jack Dyer back as vice president. That's right. The old guard are back. Um, and... Uh, we've got some interview uh, audio that uh, Rhett Bartlett recorded with Max Oppie that we'll, uh, we'll have a listen to. Oh, fantastic. So Panem left the club uh, after his coaching year. Um, and how did you become coach? Well, they just asked me to. Well, I coached them. They didn't have anyone. Mm. And they approached me and asked me if I'd coach them. Why did you say yes? Well, I suppose uh, being a, I was a pretty good club person, I think. Right. In my heart, I might not have spent as much time at the club as a lot of people, but my heart was there. Uh, I, when, I, when I took the job, I had no illusions that I was going to be a world beater, really. Did you have any illusions that you were going to be coaching for a few years? Oh, well, I didn't know. Right. It was as far as I understood it at the time, that uh, it was uh, a review at the end of one. I did reapply, but didn't. Obviously, they weren't happy because I knew about halfway through the season that they'd approached somebody else. Do you know who they approached? Yeah, Alan McDonald. Yeah. Hey, I wasn't dirty on that. Mm. I was probably dirty on that they did it night. They didn't tell me, but uh, you know, the club the club comes first. It's like politics. It's just the way some people go about things. The Tigers won only one of their first nine. It was a shocking start to the season. Um, luckily, that one win was against Collingwood, their hated enemy, by six goals. In that game, the Tigers led all day, and Bob Dummett, the hero, kicked six goals one, and Ron Branton kicked four goals straight. In fact, when Branton kicked his first goal in the first quarter, his teammates all started applauding, and he wasn't sure what was happening, so he started clapping as well. <laughs> um, but by this stage, the team kind of knew uh, finals were out of the question, so they implemented a youth policy and started getting experience into younger players. Would we call that tanking? We do now. <laughs> yeah, we do now, <laughs> yes. Um, they won back-to-back games against North by 10 and Fitzroy by 16. Uh, in round 10, the players chaired off Brian Davey after a good win over North. Um, Davey had captained the side in the absence of both Desro and Roy Wright, who were away with the Carnival side. In round 17, they beat Carlton by five points as their final win of the year, holding them to only three goals for the first three quarters. Big Ray Poulter... Richmond's forward again demonstrated his ability to bring himself back into the play after being beaten. Carlton's John James was too much for him in the first half, but when James was moved into the attack, Poulter went to the forward pocket and won the game for Richmond with four magnificent goals, each earned by a towering mark or clever anticipation. Hmm. However, this was the worst season Richmond have ever had in the league. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it would be. Yeah. In terms of stats, yeah. And ladder position. Yeah. They've never finished lower than, like, 
Well, because yeah. even when they were terrible when they first came in, there were only there's only nine teams. Nine teams, yeah. So they've never they couldn't finish ten. <laughs> yeah, no, and there, no, there was ten teams, but they finished ninth because university. Yes, because university worse. were always worse. You're right. Yeah, um, they had finished tenth before, but I think this was their worst win percentage. Yeah. Yep. Um, and finally, this is from Rhett's Tigerland website. Brian Phipps, son of Richmond committeeman Charlie Phipps, was found wandering around Warrnambool at night uh, in a Richmond jumper, muttering, "Eat him alive." <laughs> he appeared to have become disenchanted after losing his job in the city. <laughs> uh, they had front news in the, in the Argus, and Harry Dyke promised he would find him a job. Eat him alive. Eat him alive. So the lead goal kicker for Richmond that year was Dummett with 32. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So the club finished 10th in 1956. Yeah, I thought I'd done a good job. <laughs> it was their equal lowest ever on the ladder. Yeah, that's right. I admit that. You're not, you're not disputing that, Mark. <laughs> oh, God. As, as a coach, I think I'll forget about it. <laughs> South Melbourne finished in ninth position with six wins, one draw, 11 losses, and 88.1%. Yes, so the is this year, coached by Herb Matthews and captained by Ian Gillett. Their best and fairest winner was Jim Dorgan. Yeah, things are uh, some interesting debutants here. Um, Marshall Younger, George Tagliabu, Don Matthews, younger brother of coach Herb Matthews. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. And a huge name, Bobby Skelton. Well, I'm just going to take it away now. Bob Skelton, I've always wanted to talk about this guy. Three- you haven't mentioned him as much as, like, Kevin Murray was always the focus, no, but we've got right. to Kevin Murray now, so it's... Yeah. <laughs> well, um, uh, Kevin Murray won one, Brownlee. Oh. Bob Skelton, three. <laughs> And he coached Melbourne. Uh, okay, Tim, everybody. Skilton was a roving wizard with amazing skills. He could kick on either foot, of course. Um, could turn on either side of his body. He often roved to... This is what I meant. He had roved to losing South Rucks, but turned this into an art form. He had to win the ball for himself and was totally fearless in burrowing into packs. Uh, represented Victoria many times. Um, won the club best and fairest uh, in 11 seasons from 1958 Ooh. to 68. Wow. So That's I guess, outrageous, yeah. isn't it? And Moz, we, we're definitely going to hear more about Bob Skelton, so yes, I'll leave indeed. it there. Legend. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, so Ian, Cap- Ian Gillett, new captain. Um, some big returns as well. Ron Clegg's back from North Albury and Jim Taylor's back from South, South Adelaide. Oh, Cleggie's back. Cleggie's back. <laughs> um, at one point... In this season, South considered changing their name. They wanted a a nickname with more fire. So they were suggesting the Bloodhounds. Hey. (laughs) Because it it incorporates the Bloods. Yeah, absolutely. I'm surprised they didn't take the Lakers. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's what I thought. it was theirs for the taking. But they want a na- they want a nickname with more fire. Yeah, absolutely. Not some some placid water. Yeah, so the bloodhounds. The bloodhounds. The bloodhounds. But uh, South members rallied against the proposal. Well, with the with Footscray already the dogs. Footscray were the dogs already, weren't yeah. they? So yeah, yeah. I have two dogs. No. Yeah, bulldogs and bloodhounds. Yeah. Mm. What's what? next? The Shih Tzus. No. Birds. True. That's true. We've got many birds. There's, there's big, we've got big cats. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. But they're all specific. Animals. Yeah, that's not so the if, umbrella if you, bird. Had, if you had like the bloodhound and a bulldog, they're just specific breeds. Oh yeah, true. Yeah, 
Oh, the bulldogs, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah sorry. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. They're not just the dogs, are they? No. Yeah. All right, round one. They kept pace with the Cats till half-time before going down by 27. Uh, with Fred Goldsmith in top form early, their Brownlow medalist from 55. Oh, yes, indeed. Round five, uh, Bobby Skilton made his debut against the Bulldogs. <laughs> However, the Bulldogs won. And Skilton showed enough as a rover to be one of the shining lights for the Swans. Then in round six, the Swans had their first win beating the Bombers with Bobby Skilton mentioned by the age. Um, the newspaper saying, Skilton's aggressive and fearless roving backed up by deadly accuracy around goal saw him fully capitalise on ruck drive stemming from Kaita, Gillett and Ferguson. He kicked five goals and was best on ground oh. in his second game. Wow. The next, some player. Kicked five goals from the middle as yeah. well. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the next week he kicked four behinds and they lost to the Kangaroos. <laughs> Uh, then round six, Skilton kicked four as the Swans won another lakeside pennant. In round 12, Billy Gunn, their, their former captain, uh, fell over Cats player Norm Sharp and fractured his elbow, and he would miss the rest of the season. Um, the Cats won this game, but at this point of the season, by round 12, Bill Gunn, Billy Gunn was, uh, he kicked, just kicked his 28th goal and was second on the goal kickers list, so this is a big blow for South. Uh, finally, in round 15, they had a draw with Hawthorne. In this match, Ron Clegg was reported for striking Norm McGuinness, but was initially cleared. And they ended the season with a win over North by 32 points. Um, but they, had, they, they swung a surprise move, Moz. Fred Goldsmith, superstar fullback, playing at full forward, kicked six goals. Of course hey, he did. that sounds about right, yeah. I reckon. Of course he did. They did like to give him a little swapsy yeah. across the ground. Um, now, Charlie, let's have a guess on the, uh, the leading goal kicker. Was it Billy Gunn? It was Billy Gunn. Yeah. So to halfway through the season, yeah, no one else could catch him. So we yeah, finished with uh, 28, big shooter. Yeah. Good. Well done, bloodhounds. Okay, <laughs> Fitzroy finished eighth um, with seven wins, 11 losses, and 89.3%. So Fitzroy, coached by uh, Bill Stephen and captained by Bill Stephen, best and fairest winner, Gaz's man. Oh, of course. Kevin, Kevin Murray. Uh, here he goes. And yes, that's us. Uh, some debutantes include Graham Gotch, Graham Campbell, who is actually the grandfather of Braden Maynard. Oh, there you oh, go. Um, among the 11 new recruits they had. Fitz, Fitzroy also gained the services of Ian Aston, who had been on Hawthorne's radar. So the story was he was on his way down from St. Anu and Anord. Aunt St. Arnold. St. Arnold, there you go. Northwest of Ballarat. Yes. To trial with Hawthorne, but his father realised on the train that it'd be too late to get all the way across the city to Glen Ferry. So they hopped in a taxi to Brunswick Street Oval because their family friend, Vin Williams, was playing for Fitzroy. Um, Bill Stevens liked him, so he was in the seniors by round five. Stop it. What? Yeah. Ha! Poaching. Funny story. Um, they lost to Footscray in round one, but then beat Essendon and South comfortably to be two and one. Um, before their win over Essendon in round two, they stood for one minute silence in respect to the death of Hayden Button. Oh, mm. the great man. The great man. Uh, Tony Ongarello, or Onger, as they call him, oh, yeah. kicked seven <laughs> in the blood and fire win over South Melbourne with roars of Onger rocking the ground in the way that supporters used to cheer for Bunton back in the day. Any more place kicks for Tony he, this year? I think he's given up yeah. on those. Okay. <laughs> round five, Fitzroy beat North Melbourne by 15 points. Um, because it was discovered after two quarters that football is played with a ball as well as with weight and strength. <laughs> Fitzroy were lucky to win. Its players fumbled their way through the first half and only very few players, Murray, Gale and Stephen particularly, were able to handle the greasy ball. Brian Pert had six shots on goal and didn't kick one. Oh, gosh. Uh, then round six and Kilda made Fitzroy earn their win. 
For within minutes, Davy and Murray, both of Fitzroy, were lying on the ground 20 yards apart and surrounded by trainers. Murray went off with his, in the first quarter with a twisted knee, but Davy played on to be one of their stars. Fitzroy won by four goals. So I like that St Kilda's being tougher here and making yeah, yep. teams really Absolutely. No yep. um, for their round nine game against Collingwood, they hired they lost to Collingwood by 45 points, but the mud was so bad at Brunswick Street Oval, they had to officially hire two men whose job it was to scrape mud off their boots. You're kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and it's always Brunswick Street Oval seems to be the muddiest every single yes. season. Yeah. The worst. Uh, they then had six losses in a row between round 8 and 13. So, in round 14, Bill Stevens said after the win over South... It was great to see the real Fitzroy spirit come out in the match today. The return of Tony Ongarello, or Onga, uh, seemed to give our boys greater confidence and more purpose in attack. We relished the dry ground because it gave us a chance to show our speed and the boys fought it right out and refused to give in. South must have missed some of his experienced players in attack. Indeed. Uh, they shook off and determined St Kilda around 17 by 13 points, which was their final win of the season. Their annual report saying, Our efforts showed a continued advance, but the wet season and the shocking state of the ground, which prevented training there on several occasions, added to our troubles. I feel like Fitzroy's final end of season report is always whinging and always yep. making excuses. Like, uh, yeah, we didn't quite make it. We could it. have been good, but this happened. But we, we were in, yeah, yeah. It's always someone else's fault. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Leading goal kicker. The leading goal kicker. Onga. Onga. Tony Ongarello with 33. So very low scoring yeah. so far this year. Mm. Okay. Hawthorne. 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 What? Haven't seven. we already talked about them? No. Here they go. Yes, they had seven wins. One draw and ten losses. And a very similar percentage as the last one, two, three, four, five teams I've mentioned, 88.9%. Yeah, they're all in the 80s, <laughs> aren't they? They're all very close. Well, yes. can I just say this as well? Let's just enjoy this because this is the last season Hawthorne I really don't make finals. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Like they, they finally make finals, spoilers, in 57. And then, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, this is the end of them being this is, terrible. This is the end of us liking Hawthorne. Yeah. All right, so lap it yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. So coached by Jack Hale and captain by John Kennedy, best and fairest winner, Roy Simmons, this mm. year. Um, so some debutants were Don Douglas, Brian Falconer, Brendan Edwards, uh, who they recruited from under North Melbourne's nose. So, you know, it happens both ways. Mm. Um, and also, Kazman, you mentioned last episode that Graham Arthur's nickname was Mort mm. because of the poem. Mm. Have you had a look into that at all? No, I haven't. No? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, it was around this time as well that Hawthorne decided they needed a team song. Oh. They looked at Melbourne Moles and they're like, well, they have that song that kind of brings them together. We need something like that. Mm. Um, so President Dr. Sandy Ferguson decided it was time the team had an anthem and it asked club honorary solicitor Hartwell George Chicklender to organise a song. <laughs> so Lender uh, approached a friend of his, Jack O'Hagan, who had written the song The Road to Gundagai. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. And according to folklore, the two wrote the song on a napkin over lunch, set to the Broadway tune Yankee Doodle, Doodle Boy. Day. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, he was paid 25 guineas, which he immediately donated back to the players' trip fund, and and thus it is the song we know. We're a happy team at Hawthorne. Yeah, we're the Mighty Fighting yeah. Hawks. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the good ones. That's how it happened. It is a good song, actually. Damn them. It gets stuck in your head. <laughs> yeah. In round one against Collingwood, Brendan Edwards ruptured a thigh muscle in the first quarter, and despite Hale leaving him on the ground at halftime, he missed the next eight games. Highs <laughs> beat him by 32. Round two against Richmond at Punt Road, the Hawks were 25 points down at three-quarter time. Came home with a mad rush, kicking seven goals five to one point to win by 21 points. Hmm. 
round three. Despite kicking their second highest score for the year, the Hawks lost to topside Geelong at home by 12 uh, before three successive wins. The first was a one-goal win over South at Lakeside Oval. The second, a low-scoring 21-point win over St Kilda, where the Hawks kicked the final six goals of the match. The last was a cliffhanging three-point triumph over Footscray coming from behind in the last quarter to snatch a win, 74-71. to The Hawks would win three more of their 12 games with a draw against Lowly South Melbourne. One <laughs> highlight was the club's first win against North Melbourne after 10 successive losses. In this match, it was reported that young Hawthorne ruckman John Kennedy requested that he go back on the field after half-time. This request was denied because he'd broken his arm <laughs> and would miss the next eight weeks. Um, Hawthorne finished off the season beating 11th place St Kilda by 17 points and then Fitzroy by 7th by, sorry by 7 uh, leading goal kicker Charlie leading goal kicker in 56 was John Peck with 31 hmm. Gregory is that his nickname <laughs> I hope so I think it is is it actually yeah that'd be great <laughs> So apparently, this is something I also read about Hawthorne this year, which maybe is why they started to get better as well, is uh, they they responded to league requests to foster the game among the young. Uh, by, in, during 1956, Hawthorne began training 50 schoolboys every Thursday. Interesting. So schoolboys training cool. yeah, yeah, with them. Of the game. Mm. Or not with them, but yeah, they were training. Would, did, uh, did, did the coach separate the Catholics and the Protestants? I hope so. <laughs> Like he didn't give it five. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, well, I hope you all enjoyed listening to Hawthorne come seventh. And let's move on. <laughs> Essendon finished sixth with ten wins, eight losses, and ninety-five point eight percent. So, so not really winning, not really losing, just 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 nothing. Just, yeah. mi- just middling along. <laughs> but in the top half, hey. Thanks, Moss. Thank You're you. welcome. <laughs> so, coached by Dick Reynolds. Captain by Bill Hutchison, best and fairest Bill Hutchison. Yeah, yeah. So those names are still yeah. there. <laughs> wasn't enough. They're um, They they signed a player called Alex Eppis this season, but he could he was blocked, so he was a star player over in the Goldfields, um, and became a star, but he could not play for two seasons. His his transfer was blocked by the uh, the waffle over there. Ugh. Disappointing. Yeah, <laughs> Tim kind of. You glazed over a little bit of um, Alex Ephesus. I, I could say that his nickname was Kookaburra for yeah, his Cooker. non-stop talking on and off uh, the field. <laughs> non-stop talking on and off but the field. But he wasn't always laughing because the, when he was blocked, it says this, Tim, um, that uh, he admitted later that he often sat in bed and cried. Um, but being the pig-headed Italian that he was, uh, in his own words, he made up his mind to never go back to WA. There you go. Mm-hmm. John Coleman looked looked likely to take his place in the team this season. Oh, really? He played half. He played a half in a practice game and kicked two goals. But through medical advice, he halted any hope of a comeback, and he officially retired. Oh, really? Yeah. Through medical advice. Yeah, the doctors said, "No, don't come back." Nah, because if what if you blow it out. It'll, you'll be done forever, yeah, but you won't be walking know. again. His heart really wasn't in it. No. Nah. Premiership player Alan Dale returned from Wangaratta, but after three games, he officially requested and received a tr- clearance to St Kilda. Okay. Bombers started well, though. 28-point win over Carlton at home. Hugh Mitchell, again, leading their goal-kicking with three. Then Jim Carstairs was the hero with five against North in round three, which they won by 42 points. Uh, Greg Sewell with six... W- kicked, sorry. Click. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in round four, Greg Sewell. Click. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. 
Uh, in round four, Greg Sewell kicked six in a nice win over St Kilda. The Bombers were sharing the ball around a lot more going forward. Yep, good. Not as predictable. When, yep. you, when you get rid of those big full forwards, it's a little bit like now Joe Danaher's gone. Yeah, yeah. You've yeah. got to have different options, so you're not Things as predictable. Yeah. Round five, it was cousin against cousin with uh, Reynolds taking on Max Oppie. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. The one who shut him out of the 43 grand final. Yeah. The Bombers kicked a shocking six goals, 22, but still won by six points. Uh, in this game, Essendon wingman Reg Burgess took a sensational mark running flat out down his wing in the same direction the ball was travelling. He took the mark over his head with one hand. Wow. On the fly. Yeah. Amazing. But, you know, things fell apart for the Bombers. They lost six of their next seven. The yeah, only win being over Hawthorne by 21. And even then, they had to come from behind at three-quarter time. It actually got to the point when, in July, a committee member was in conversation with Melbourne captain Noel McMahon about taking over the coaching position. Hey. And McMahon confirmed this years later that he'd been, you know, He'd been out. brought. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The Bombers thought a rebuild would have to take place and indeed did advertise the coaching position for the 57 season. Really? However, in a complete form reversal, they won five of their last six. Weren't so interested in it yeah. anymore, yeah. The season yeah. ended in controversy after Geelong at uh, Windy Hill, against Geelong at Windy Hill, when Vice-Captain Roy McConnell announced his retirement pre-game, saying he felt slighted by the selectors. He'd been named in the reserves, but withdrew, believing his form warranted a place in the seniors. I mean, he played 12 games that season. Um, the seniors, however, had their best win of the year, beating a Geelong side desperate for the double chance. They won by 28, a five goal to three final quarter, sealing the win. I'm going to guess the leading goal kicker is um, Hugh Mitchell. No. Oh. Graham Willie? Wiley. Okay. Willie, I think it is, with 33. Wiley Willie. Wiley Willie. <laughs> <laughs> so Carlton finished just outside the, the finals police oh, getters. No. I know. So close. Oh, well. <laughs> 10 wins, one draw, seven losses, and um, a bit of a percentage jump on this one to 113.7 compared to all the 90s and 80s we've been yeah. mm. So, coached by Jim Francis. Yeah, so, um, personally retired. After the end of, uh, 55. many, many years in charge. Captained again by Ken Hands, at least there's a little bit of consistency going on there. Best and fairest, Doug Beasy this yeah. year. Uh, some. Debutants were Max o- Max Owsley, Maury Pope, and Brian Buckley. Now pre-season, Noel Nobby O'Brien landed awkwardly from a marking contest, uh, damaged an ankle so badly that he never played again. Mm. This incident robbed the Carlton Football Club and the game as a whole of a special talent. Mm. More than 50 years after his last game, Nobby O'Brien's average of 3.69 goals per game is still one of the best in Blues history. Yeah, wow. Um, but it wasn't a good start for Jim Francis's coach. They lost their first game uh, in round two at three-quarter time. All the Carlton fans booed him as he took the field to address the team who were trailing Melbourne by 75 points. <laughs> even so, so much so that even Norm Smith in his press conference or his comments criticised Carlton fans for their treatment of their coach. Oh, really? Their first win came in round three over St Kilda. Carlton's greater strength and more experience was a difference between the teams. Round four against North was a close-fought game. North took the lead in the final term, but Carlton's teamwork came to the fore, and the Blues regained the lead to win by eight points. The man who got them over the line was Ken Hands, their captain. His effective leadership, practically in defence, gave Carlton an inner strength. In round five, they had a win over Collingwood, which was masterminded at training by Jim Francis. He used skittles to kind of show the players where they were going to move, to show them how to beat Collingwood. Oh, okay. So in drizzling rain and slippery ground, the Blues played dry weather football. Carlton ball-marking 
Uh, kicking was also superb. Half forwards Kerr, Milroy and Beasy dominated. Milroy took five towering marks in the final term. Hands and Clark controlled the ruck and James was unbeatable in defence. After a thrilling one-point win over the Doggies, Coach Francis said... Our team put up a particularly good display to beat Footscray in the very heavy conditions. They did not suit us, but players adapted themselves well and fought it out all the way. It was here that our good physical condition came in very useful. We won well on the wings, and our back line, which played it tight and close, was invaluable. In round 10, Ken Hands was knocked out late in a six-goal win over Fitzroy in what was described as a hard slogging game. The final quarter resembled a wrestling match with players punching, tripping and stiff-arm jolting. <laughs> 50 yards behind the play, the umpires were oblivious. Round 12, the Blues played a grand opening quarter. New full forward Ross Ousley scored the first goal from a kick off the ground. Within minutes of the start, they had kicked a further five goals three to the Bombers one behind for the quarter and won the game easily by 40 points. This is probably about the time that Bombers were trying to find replace Dick Reynolds. <laughs> yeah. um, they drew in round 14 with St Kilda, kicking in... Inaccurate eight goals, 18. They then had a win over North, a seesawing victory over the Pies, and had this had them in fourth place, six points clear of Footscray. Oh. Mm. When Carlton's shocking inaccuracy around the goals cost them dearly and they lost to the Tigers by five points at home, putting their final spot in jeopardy. To the Tigers as well. Yeah, it all came down to the round 18 match with the Dogs, and they were in, uh, but they played poorly, with Coach Francis saying... Oh, we failed to handle the conditions adequately, and the longer the game lasted, the more we dropped back. One of our serious failures was that our boys would persist in short passing instead of kicking the ball long and far. We played second fiddle in the air, and except for Bill Milroy, our rucks were beaten for most of the game. Yeah. Shame. <laughs> leading goal kicker? The leading goal kicker for this year was Kev Hamilton with 22. 22. Still very, very low, very low. Alright, finals teams. Footscray finished fourth with 11 wins, 7 losses and 114.2%. The Bulldogs did quite well. Oh yes, not just the dogs. Yes, not just the dogs. Coached by Charlie Sutton, captained by Charlie Sutton and Wally Donald this year. Their best and fairest was Don Ross. Mm. Debutant was Ray Broadway. Hey, get your name in lights. Um, round one was a 29-point win over Fitzroy. Roger Duffy, the hero here with four. Sutton hurt his ankle in this and was out for the next three games, however. Um, if we remember last season, 55, the Doggies had been very complacent coming off their premiership year. Mm. They'd failed to make the finals the year after winning it. They had a win over St Kilda, which showed things were back to normal, but then uh, their form started to slide. Losses to perennial finalists Collingwood and Melbourne showed they weren't quite up to the there's four of the top sides round five Charlie Sutton came back into the team for what would be his final game Max Cross kicked five here um, his final game yeah I'm getting mm, to it play mm. no uh, his final game being against South Melbourne in a ten point win before the next match against Carlton and Witten Oval Sutton who had officially announced his retirement uh, did a lap of honour in front of the 30,000 supporters before going to coach the team to a one-point loss. In this game, in the final minutes, Carlton clung to a small lead. Racing neck and neck with Carlton defender John James into an open goal, Ted Whitten kicked at the ball on the ground, but James reached the fraction of a second earlier. He shot straight through the centre of the goals and the Bulldogs fans erupted, certain of victory, but the goal umpire dashed their hopes. He had seen James kick the ball and ran out to tell the field umpire Robinson. Both Whitten and James later said the goal umpire had made the correct decision. Okay. 
Everyone agrees. I like yeah. it when they win. So Sutton's yeah. retired. Witten's winning them game. We're trying to win them games. Uh, so big, big change there with Sutton yes. going. Between rounds eight and twelve, they they won five straight, including a strong win over Geelong. In round fourteen, they knocked off the top of the ladder, Melbourne, by thirteen points in what? a muddy MCG. Impossible. Max Cross kicking four, and Peter Box the star in the middle. Big cardboard. Mm. Big card- <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to try and claim that as his nickname? Absolutely. Like the big silo. Yep, the big silo. <laughs> Cardboard is doing well. Despite losses to Collingwood and South, they were still in touch with the top four. A win over uh, Hawthorne in round 17 meant that, just like in 1944 and 45, their final round of the season came down to the match between them and Carlton. So this is the the third time both these teams have met for a spot in the finals. That's amazing. In like the space of 15 years. Um, It's like my fear of Essendon always being good when we're good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So... When the Dogs took the lead in the second term, they held on to it with a classic defensive display for the rest of the game. Ted Witten repulsing the Blues attack from centre-half back. The Dogs ran out. 17-point winners, Arthur Edwards, in this game was concussed. Sutton said in this game, We finished a fit aside. We won in the air and our defence stood fast all day. I thought, too, um, that our operation in attack was a big factor in our victory. Beautiful. Leading goal kicker. Leading goal kicker was Maxi Cross with 52. Crossy. Crossy. Oh, that's a famous bulldog name there. Yeah. G Long on 13 wins, 5 losses and 121.9% third place. Yes. So Geelong coached by Red Chicky, captain by Bob Davis, best and fairest winner Bernie Smith. Back, back into some form. There he is. Uh, debutants include Bruce Bartle, Frank Deleu, who's grandfather of Tom Hawkins, and Fred Wooler. Geelong got off to a flying start and won their first four matches, although this was against a relatively easy opposition. They then faced the 1955 grand finalists in successive weeks and lost both, although narrowly to uh, the Demons. The Cats thereafter shifted to a higher gear and won nine of their next ten games. Fine wins against Essendon, North and Melbourne later in the season suggested the Cats were genuine contenders now round 16 on the eve of this match against Melbourne Geelong sprang one of the surprise selections of the season when Noel Rayson was dropped and Ruckman Harry Herbert came in for his first senior game of the year as full forward ah. Herbert had not played a league game since he broke his leg against Carlton the previous season this is the second time that Rayson had been dropped this year although he was second on the goal kicking list at this page this stage Annoyed at being admitted, Noel Rayson resigned from the club. In his letter of resignation, he said only that he wished to resign as a playing member. He considered the club had been unfair to him. I know I went bad in the first games of this season and have no kick at being out for the next two games, but I've done reasonably well since. After all, I'm second on the league list of goal kickers. Other players in the team are not doing very well, but are still there. I'm very concerned at the attitude of the selectors. I've had it. Rayson would like to play for another club next season. After all, he said, "I'm only 23." Yeah, and he mm. had led the led the league goal kicking the previous season. Yeah, this is like when they dumped uh, Lindsay. Was it Lindsay White? Yes. Yeah, yeah it was, wasn't no, it? No, it wasn't Lindsay White. From for, for having an affair. Oh no, um, I mean, it was um. Well, yeah, it sounds like it's not his playing that they've dumped him for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Reggie. It was Reggie. George Caninian. No, it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, yes, it was. It was. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, Geelong won that game, so they played a grand game and had control for most of it against Melbourne until a five-goal last-quarter burst from Melbourne began to look like an inevitable demon victory. The Cats led by two points. Tension grew as Melbourne stormed forward yet again. 
The siren sounded with the ball in the air sailing towards Melbourne goals, with Geelong two points in front. The Argus calling Bernie Smith's last quarter as being up there with his Brownlow year. There we go. <laughs> um, Noel Rayson did come back in for the rest of the season, but the damage had been done. Did he lead their goal kicking? He did lead their goal kicking. He kicked 41 that year. Okay. Yeah. Collingwood, the Pies, finished with 13 wins and five losses, just like Geelong, um, and a slightly higher percentage of 125.9. Yes, so coached by Fonz Kine again. Captain taking over from Lou the Lip was Neil Mann, mm. and best and fairest winner, Bill Toomey. So debutantes include Dick O'Bree, Graham Fellows, and Ken Turner. But consider these names that had left the previous season. Bob Rose, Bill Rose, Lou Richards, and Des Healy. Yeah, killer. 591 games of experience between them. I hate mm. to think how many goals between them as well. Mm. Yeah. They opened the season with wins over Hawthorne and South before the Tigers knocked them off in round three. Round five was almost an embarrassment. They couldn't score a goal until the third quarter. <laughs> the Blues besting them by seven. Their score of three goals, 5-22, was the lowest score they'd kicked in 45 years. Uh, with grounds turned to mud heaps, Fonz had his players training in the mud to hone their wet weather skills, <laughs> which worked a treat when they took on Geelong at Victoria Park and all their training paid off as they won by 41 points, restricting the Cats to only two goals for the whole match. Yep, wow. They then took on the Demons in the grand final rematch. Many thought there would be retribution for the Healy-Adams clash. Oh, yeah. But there wasn't. No. It was a hard match. The Pies got out to a 21-point lead early, but the Demons reeled them in. The final quarter saw the Ds kicking four goals while restricting the Pies to one behind to run out with the win. The Pies then had easy wins against North Fitzroy St Kilda Essendon and Hawthorne. In the final two rounds, they took on the Cats and the Demons. So All tough. The finalists. So yeah, they yeah. went into the finals in form. The only two teams ahead of them on the ladder. Against the Cats at Cardinia, they needed to win to draw level on points as well as gain at least 4.8% to take the double chance. Okay, yeah. Murray Wiedemann took control of this game and dominated at half forward to inspire a win and give them a 2.5% lead on the ladder over Geelong. The final round was still crucial. If they lost and the Cats won, they would swap places. Fonz and his boys were ready, but so too was Norm Smith. It was a tight match, was. but the Demons held on to win by 13 points. And lucky for the Pies, the Bombers beat the Cats to keep them in third position. So the Pies still earned the double chance. Lovely. Mm. <laughs> so, on the very top of the ladder. The <laughs> very top, I like. With a meagre two losses and a whopping 16 wins was Melbourne. 146%. Don't you love it? So, coached by the great man Norm Smith, captained by Noel McMahon again, best and fairest winner, Stuart Spencer again. All right, guys, just sit back and We're right in the Enjoy this. Tossed off the MCG due to the preparations for the Olympics. Yes. Uh, the reigning premiers were forced to use Olympic Park as an alternative training venue before moving to the Albert Ground for the start of the season. I don't know what the Albert Ground is. Oh. Um, is that one would of it be Lakeside? Lake? Albert Park? Yeah. Albert, maybe, maybe one of the... The Albert Ground could be Lakeside, don't anyway, know. Yeah. And then they were there till August. Um, mm. Didn't stop them? No. <laughs> so their round one game was moved to Punt Road on the request of the club. And a lesser side could have been expected to struggle amongst the chaos, but this Melbourne outfit was a class above the rest. Uh, and by the time they had returned home in round five to unveil the flag against Geelong, they were unbeaten. So they won their first four. Round five, they, they returned home, MCG, and unfurled the flag, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Bert Chadwick. Yes. Unfurled it. Demon Stuart Spencer kicked like a defender in this game. Although he was accurate enough to lead his, goals, his club's goal-kicking in 55, 
He's no goals 11 his match stands as the equal worst performance in front of goal in league history 0-11 <laughs> do you know who else is, uh, he's, he's level with uh, I don't remember talking about um, Joe Danaher his coach them. Norm Smith oh really oh, yeah. so when Norm Smith Got questioned him when, when Norm Smith questioned him on this he's like well didn't you do it once as well round 6 the unbeaten demons aiming to extend the club winning record to 12 were temporarily surprised by a pacey and skillful North Melbourne side who they were expected to beat comfortably, the Roos took a comfortable lead into quarter time and remained in front at half time mm. before the Demons held them to one goal after half time and they won by seven. Nice. Yeah. They beat the Pies easily in round seven. John Beckwith with Melbourne's best, holding out numerous Collingwood attacks in the last quarter, along with Ian Fairley and Dennis Cordner. The same side then beat a gallant St Kilda by 14. They smashed the Bombers by 68, although the Bombers did kick 16 behinds in this match, yeah. I will say. Um, around this time, Norm had a big falling out with Checker Hughes. Oh, oh really? Because Checker Hughes had questioned the move Norm Smith made. Yep. And Norm Smith responded with something like, you've had your day as coach, but the day's gone and, and I'm the coach now, so go and sit, and up, sit up in the bloody grandstand. Because he did sit on the bench with him a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Checker stomped off and did as he was told, and Norm Smith took his place on the bench. Um, and now there was really no question as to who was the coach of this team because there had been a bit of conjecture. Yes. Checker Hughes is still side, in, still like kind still of, yeah, 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 yeah. But no, whispering. this is Norm's team and this is really making a point of that. Yeah. Uh, they won at the Sardine Tin in round 11 over Hawthorne with Norm Smith saying... Uh, we were pleased to win this game at Glenferry with its narrow confines. Um, it was not one of our favourite arenas. Hawthorne proved to be... Hawth- what did I say? Hawthorne proved to be as tenacious as usual and made our boys go hard all the way. But Melbourne's strong defensive play, particularly against the wind in the first and third terms, laid the foundation for our victory. We also made better use of the wind and our more direct approach to goal was profitable. So Melbourne seemed to be unassailable, but that sort of shows that you really got to work hard even against other well, North Smith is not one to rest on your laurels. No, either. that's right. Mm. No Never. matter where you are. Fight to the finish. Yeah. Mm, round 13 was the 18th and last win of the club's longest ever streak of victories, dating back to round 15 of 55. 19th? Uh, eight, was it 19th was it I think it was a 19th win yeah conjecture okay um, they beat Carlton by 15 Doggies beat them in the next round around 14 two days short of a year since their last loss <laughs> they then bounced back against Fitzroy um, after Fitzroy's committee had tried to have the game moved to the MCG due to poor condition of their oval yep uh, but the VFL's match arrangements committee rejected the request after the inspection of Brunswick Street oval um, despite the improved condition on the turf from the previous match, Fitzroy still had to train in the parkland, <laughs> <laughs> sharing space with the junior side. Uh, Melbourne then <laughs> lost to Geelong. Athol Webb kicked six in another win over North Melbourne, and they finished the season off with a 13-point win over Collingwood. At the end of that match, Alan Nash, umpire, had to be escorted off the ground by police after irate Collingwood fans rushed at him, as he had awarded... <laughs> this is ridiculous. He'd awarded 31 free, su- free kicks each. So there's no disparage. disparage. It's too many. Too many for Melbourne. That's the problem. (laughs) We deserved all 31 of ours. So Melbourne just rolling on there. A few little losses at the end there. Probably a good thing. I think Norm would be happy with losses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not happy, but like... Then you need it. Get to kick up the bum. Absolutely. Leading goal kicker? Leading goal kicker was Stewie Spencer again. Yeah. With uh, exactly the same amount, 42, as last year. Imagine if he'd kicked like five of those 11. (laughs) The Brown Low Down Low with Moz. The winner this season was Footscray's Peter Box. 
otherwise known as Peter Cardboard Box, thanks to Charlie. He won with a clear 22 votes above Geelong's Peter Pianto, who finished on 16 votes, and South's Jim Dorgan, who finished on 15 votes. Peter Box could play anywhere on the ground, but his main love was in the midfield. Um, he is a bit of a medical and a miracle story for AFL because in 1952, at the start of the season, I believe, or over the summer of 1952, he was riding his motorbike and he had a terrible collision with a car. Apparently he was thrown into the air and rushed to hospital. Um, the doctors said he would certainly never play football again and also they were quite concerned about other medical issues. He spent the next three months in hospital um, slowly regaining strength and he missed the entire 1952 season. But then by the start of the 1953 season, although his left leg was still thinner than his right leg, he did manage to come back um, and take the game by storm once again. He then played in Footscray's uh, grand final in 1954 and he won the Brownlow this year in 1956. At the end of 1957, he did accept and was cleared for a captain coach position for the VFA playing for Camberwell. So that was the end of his um, VFL career. The famous Melbourne sporting paper, The Sporting Globe, was published twice each week for much of its life. From 1956 until 1985, a Best Player Award was made for the VFL competition. It was named the Bunton Medal in memory of Hayden Bunton Sr., an icon of the game tragically killed in 1955. The writers reviewing each VFL rostered match would select the three players they believed most worthy of the votes 3-2-1. According to the writers who followed this 3-2-1 voting system, uh, Hawthorne's Roy Simmons finished on 18 votes, Footscray's Peter Box finished on 19 votes, and Carlton's John James finished on 22 votes. So, Charlie, something else we need to start talking about is uh, the Night Series. The Night Series, that's right. Night Series, Night Series. We gotta go show it. That's right. <laughs> I love it. So, yes, there was the Night Series this year. Um, the first one. And the first game was held at Lake Oval. Yeah. So... It was introduced uh, and then played between the teams that finish outside the final four. Uh, the seven elimination matches were played under lights, all of them at Lake Oval. Because that's just what they want to do, isn't it? They want to keep playing football because they haven't been good enough. That's it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, we'll let the great teams go over there yeah. and we'll just play between yeah. us. Um, so th all the matches this year were renowned for their violence, both on and off the field. <laughs> yeah. So as soon as the sun goes down, people lose their minds. Oh, um, yeah. In 1956, licensed venues in Melbourne closed at 6, so the matches provided patrons a location to have a drink after 6pm. Uh, this made the matches very attractive, and the seven matches were attended by an average of 20,000 plus patrons. Yes. Awesome. The lighting was dimmed by modern standards, and it meant that most of the spectators could not always clearly see what was happening on the other side of the ground. Also, because it sounds like most of them were pissed, they weren't able to see anything. Uh, and on occasion, the fights amongst the spectators were so fierce that the players stopped to watch. <laughs> <laughs> there was also much violence on the field, with players soon learning that keeping to the well-lit parts of the ground offered considerable protection. Oh my God. <laughs> so it's like not walking down an alley at night time. Oh yeah. 
Um, so it's, it was an interesting um, setup. So the night series began after the after the season proper finished. Yeah. But the final, the the grand final of the night series was actually after the grand final of the real season. Nice. I believe we've got a bit of audio footage of Brian Gleeson of St Kilda talking about that first match as well. Let's have a quick listen to that. At the end of probably 1956, the VFL had night games at South Melbourne for the clubs who didn't make the finals. And uh, St Kilda played South Melbourne in the very first of those games. And it was a bloodbath, you know. I remember 36 fellas having a fight, full on, and half a dozen getting reported and stuff like that, after I got knocked out. I mean, it was the sort of night it was. And I was very distraught after the game. And I, I, I was at a stage that I didn't care whether I ever played football again. And Killigrew really got in my corner and he said, look, hang in there. You did well. You uh, so, it was, yeah, an end-of-season cup competition with those eight teams that didn't make it. Started on the 23rd of August and finished on the 17th of September. After the grand final. Yeah, after the grand final, exactly. And um, it was all played at Lake Oval because it was the only ground equipped to host the night games. It was the only ground with lights, yeah. which is crazy considering you look, think of MCG and Princess Park are both yeah. the biggest grounds. Yeah. And I mean, we're hosting the Olympics. Yeah. You'd think there'd be lights at the MCG. Yes. But yeah, so there you go. So would you like to sit here, uh, some of the games? What happened in some of the games? Yeah. Yes. Let's hear. All right. So uh, we had, to start with, South Melbourne defeating St Kilda, uh, 93 to 73. Then, so these are all Tuesday and Thursday matches, I should say. On the After that, we had North Melbourne defeating Essendon. Richmond defeating Hawthorne and then Carlton defeating Fitzroy. So that puts South, North, Richmond and Carlton through to the semi-finals where South Melbourne defeated North Melbourne and uh, Richmond defeated Carlton. Oh, sorry, Carlton defeated Richmond, I should say. Which takes us through that, that, that final on the 17th of September in front of a crowd of 32,500. Not bad. Where South Melbourne defeated Carlton. 13-16-94 to Carlton's 13-10-88. So South Melbourne, playing at Lake Oval, managed to take out the first night final. Nice so one. There you and go. I believe South Pint Size Rover, Brian McGowan, actually played in three grand finals in succession uh, because of that. So he played in the under-19s game, the reserves grand final, and now the... the and now the night grand, grand final. final. Yeah. So there you go, three grand finals in one year. In the space of weeks. That's like incredible. Week. That's fantastic. Love it. Um, I, look, if we're going to do something like this now, that week between finals and the end of the season. Great idea. I'd, oh, that would be so good. Just because there's that weekend where you, there's no football. There's no footy. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone's to twiddling their thumbs. Yeah. Make it a little yeah. mini night series. So ten, the, ten, the ten teams. Yeah, ten teams. The ones that don't make the finals. Ten yeah. teams. Yeah, love it. Yeah. Mm. Maybe just over the weekend, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, yeah. grand final, Sunday. Yeah, yeah cool. That would be so good. Yeah. Mm. Bring it on, AFL. Right, finals. Finals. Finals for everyone this year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, so our first semi, Geelong Footscray, mm. uh, in front of 79,400 people. What looked like an absolute cracker as well. Yes. Um, Only one goal was kicked in the second half of the 1956 final between Geelong and Footscray. The Cats had led 6-2 to 4-6 at halftime but failed to kick another goal. Uh, Fitzroy Matt. Footscray managed 1-2 in the third quarter and Geelong two behinds to set the scene for a slogging last quarter. Mm. A further two behinds to the Bulldogs levelled the scores nine minutes to play in the term, but for the next 15 minutes, neither side could score. Then Max Cross, Doug Reynolds and Don Rawson added behinds to put Footscray ahead. 
Geelong had a chance to win when Noel Rayson had a hurried snap late in the game. But the ball cleared Footscray's fullback Ron Porter but bounced through for a behind and Footscray hung on to win by two points. Two points, that's it. So Geelong's 6-5-41, just outstripped by Footscray's 5-13-43. Yes. Which takes us to the second semi, Melbourne Collingwood. Again, they just they just played. I know they they've just done this. We seem to be playing a lot in front of a massive crowd, ninety one thousand four hundred eighty people. Wow! And it started very closely at well, the end of the first quarter, one four each. Well, in the lead up to this game, Charlie Norm Smith had the flu, so Norm, Norm McMahon had to take over training. Hey. Um, Different setup, I imagine, under Norm McMahon <laughs> than Norm. An unpredictable wind was whipping around the G for this final. Smith told his men to spoil in the air and tackle hard to the ground. As you said, the first half was kind of goal for goal in a very tight defensive game. Yeah. Smith's halftime address was audible from the public concourse behind the dressing rooms. He was heard to say, Use your strength, weight and power every remaining minute of the game to drive the ball forward. Collingwood have been throwing themselves in recklessly. Go and do the same. Mm. So both teams kicked five each in what looked like a thrilling third quarter. But Melbourne's Stuart Spencer and Ian Ridley gold early in the last to give the Demons the advantage. Collingwood could only muster six behinds. The Demons won by 16 points. Yes. Uh, the game was won with shrewd positional changes. When uh, Jim Sandrill came on, the entire team was reshuffled. Sandrill's instructions from Norm Smith were just, go it, go in, get it and kick it. <laughs> McMahon, who'd been well beaten in centre during the first quarter, switched to centre-half back and then the ruck. Sandrill started on the half-forward flank and with uh, pace for Melville and Dixon... Uh, the Demons began to get on top. And the reserve was one of the best in the second half as the Demons used their superior stamina. Fantastic. Love it. So the finishing score there, as you mentioned, 11-14-80 for Melbourne, beat Collingwood's 8-16-64. Very close, right up until three-quarter time. One point in it, basically the whole way through. So the prelim, Collingwood and Footscray, waiting to... Uh, See who's going to get massacred in the grand final by, by Melbourne. I yeah, guess. Look, yeah, the doggies led by a point at half time. Um, it started, like, Collingwood started off well, six goals, one to three straight, but then didn't score in the second half. The doggies took the lead. Um, but thanks to Collingwood's Ken Smale, he kicked eight goals. The Pies were able to take control after half time with nine goals to two and win by 39 points. Fonz Kine saying, We seem to have the match well in hand in the first quarter, but in the second quarter it looked as if we'd lost it. At halftime, things looked grim, but in the third quarter with the wind, we came good and we held them to win well. The transfer of Bob Grieve to Roving, which allowed Leryl Sharp to go back to his old back pocket job, paid dividends, and the switch between Frank Tuck and Peter Lucas also paid off. Our rucks and centreline got on top in the second half and gave us the drive that clinched the game. Hmm. Which gets us to... Melbourne play Collingwood again. That's it. Three times in a row. I know, another grand final. Yeah. And remember, they had never beaten you in a grand final either. No. With three and zip. That's it, exactly. So is this the year? In front of 115,902 people at the G. Is that the biggest crowd ever? Is it correct? It is the biggest crowd. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there's a new stadium there as well because of uh, yes, the because preparations of the, for yeah, the Olympics. Yeah, that's it, yeah. exactly. Great. Well, should we boot up that old... Uh, oh, the old way back when. Way back when. It's not that way back anymore. No. The mm. old... Way back recently. Just back when. Yeah. Yeah. The back when phone. Uh, talk to Noel McMahon again. <laughs> yeah. He'll, he'll be dying to hear from us, uh, I reckon. He will. Noel, welcome. Thanks for talking to us again. Not a problem, everyone. Back to back, Premiers. How are you feeling? 
pretty bloody good. It's not every year you beat Collingwood three times in a row. Yeah, mate, tell us about that. We played them in the last round and then in the semi-final, and both those games were pretty similar, hard games in which we could never really shag the pies, but still managed to just get over the line. So coming in today, we knew we had their measure, but never expected a win like, to win like we did. Now the thing, just quickly, we heard Norm Smith and Checker Hughes had a bit of a falling out mid-season. Can you tell us anything about that? Oh, not really. They can both be pretty grouchy. And there was some kind of altercation between the two of them during, the, during some game this year. But I'm not going to comment on that too much. Uh, it's Norm's team and he continued to coach us in the same way, no matter who is sitting next to him on the bench. Thanks. Um, so the crowd was huge today. How did that affect you before the game? The crowd was massive today. I heard a rumour it was 115,000. We couldn't hear ourselves half the time. And if the ball went anywhere near the boundary, well, Norm doesn't like us to slow down, so we would charge full tilt into the crowd, sitting on the boundary line. Now tell us, we love to hear these sorts of things. What was Norm's message to you guys before the game? Well, I can't remember it exactly word for word, but it was something like, when I talk of courage, I don't mean what the players have to go, have to go around knocking opponents out. What he meant was that he expected our players to be prepared to go in and get the ball in any circumstance. That is a good memory, Noel. Wait, there was more. The tall timber were expected to go for the marks and the little fellas were instructed to hover around and pick up the crumbs. He talked about the fact that our followers and rovers kicked most of our goals during the season because when those chaps are off the ball, they go forward and as such, it isn't really their job to kick goals. But after all... Who really cares who's kicking the goals? He just wanted the ball to keep coming towards goal with the players in the middle of the ground working as hard as they can. And the player in the best position to kick the goals is the player who should be given that opportunity. Noel, that's incredible. Thanks for sharing almost verbatim what we assume Norm Smith said. Um, now, the Pies kicked the first goal and held a slender lead at, the, at quarter time. Did that have you worried at all? No, I'm not sure how closely you followed our play this season. But we always took a little while to keep go- to get going. And we would absorb their best shots, then they would deteriorate from fr- sheer frustration and we would unleash our full force. Mate, it sounds like you boys were a bit arrogant. <laughs> well, we were an arrogant group. And it was just a matter of going through the motions. Arrogance, you've got to have it. Controlled arrogance. I, I was just so confident. It's also remarkable that after Collingwood's early lead, your Demons had the next 15 scoring shots. Yeah, for what though? Four goals, 11. Imagine if we kicked kicked straight today. It would have been an absolute shellacking. Yeah, so you led by 20 points at half-time, but it should have been much, much more. Well, the floodgates were about to open. Now, tell us a bit more about the decision to move Athel Webb to full forward. Well, yes. Webb really turned into Melbourne's forward-line deadly weapon. His fast moves, long leads, made, made the setup perfect for big Bob Johnson and Ron Barassi to score goals. And Webby, he helped himself to three more goals in the last term. These tactics shot holes in Collingwood defence, didn't they? Yeah, they didn't seem to have a clue how to stop it. And young Jim Sandrell on the half-forward flank also put plenty of bite into the forward drives. Now, we heard a little rumour about old uh, Ivor Warren Smith and a little uh, celebratory bottle. Can you tell us more about that? Oh, you heard about that, did ya? Yes, well, he does like to celebrate, and apparently was ready to get it out at three-quarter time. 
I mean, I don't blame him. The game was ours. So finally in that final quarter, Norm gave him the go-ahead and he went to grab his little bottle but couldn't find it. He reckoned someone in the crowd nicked it. He was absolutely fuming. Now, Noel, what do you reckon won the game for your boys? We won the premiership with long kicking and because our players showed great courage going into the packs for the ball all day. I thought the boys did a remarkable job. All 18 of us were in it all the time. This really was a satisfying premiership and I'm really proud of my teammates. Okay, Noel, uh, we're going to read out a few names. Tell us your thoughts on the game today. Uh, first one, Dennis Cordner. Dominated in the ruck, worked tirelessly as usual. He had some monster hit outs in the ruck. One went at least 40 yards from the middle to centre half forward. And Laurie Mithen? Brilliant at ground level. What about uh, Dicko, Brian Dixon? Absolutely smashed Murray Wiedemann. Dixon just skidded into his blind spot and then Murray thought he was in the clear to kick a goal. Peter Marquis? Uh, well, Peter had such an easy day at fullback that he didn't take his first mark until late in the third quarter. That should tell you something. We knew his opponent, Ken Smale, had a day out last week, so Peter, so for Peter to keep in the four kicks and one goal was very impressive. And uh, ooh, Keith Carroll, he had an interesting game. Poor bloke. He suffered a broken nose and concussion after being struck with a stray elbow in the second quarter. Apparently, he's already been operated on by the time the game ended. What about Ken Melville? He did a great job on Bill Twomey. Shut him out of the game. He had almost 20 kicks himself while doing the job. And Barassi? Never stopped, never relaxed. Kicked a good goal and the ball just vanished. The umpire had to go grab a new one. So someone got a good souvenir. He probably took mark of the day in defence going back with the flight of the ball. Bluey Adams? Had a better grand final than last year. Nah, he did a cracker job on merit. So between Bluey and Ken, they shut the pies supply room down. Now, this is a big one. What about Stewie Spencer? Yes. Best on ground. He showed some powerful roving skills today. Even managed to kick five goals. Well, Noel, thanks for your time. Must have been mighty pleasing to be carried from the ground on the shoulders of your jubilant fans, knowing you're only you were, excuse me, two-time premiership captain. Oh, proudest day of my life. Oh, so, oh sorry. Uh, just before you go, Noel, um, there's some rumours flying around of the few of you, you know, Dennis Cordner and Stuart Spencer, um, and yourself might have played their last match with the D's today. Is there any truth to those rumours? Oh, guys, I'm not going to go into any details about the future today. Let's just celebrate this massive win and another Demons Premiership. All right. Thanks, Noel. Cheers. All right. What a, what a fellow that guy is. Um, Charlie, you want to run us through the final scores? Yes, absolutely. So the final score there, Collingwood's 6-12-48 paling in comparison to Melbourne's 17-19-121. Yeah, it was the equal biggest win in the grand final, 73 points. Huge. Um, Barassi just gliding across the ground. Goals were Spencer with five, Webb with five, Barassi three, Johnson three, Ridley one. For Collingwood, it was Grieve, Jones, Sarong, Smale, Turner and Toomey with one each. Best for Melbourne was Stuart Spencer with his marking on the ground. Barassi, Ken Melville was among the best and Athol Webb had a great game as well. In winning this grand final, Melbourne created the record by having defeated the same opponent four times in a single season. (laughs) (laughs) Including the last three games they'd actually played. Yeah. Uh, Yes. Yeah, that's amazing, Um, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the official uh, attendance as well broke records. 
due to the new grandstand, but public interest was also very high and a hard-fought game was expected. The ground was so packed that spectators sat between the fence and the boundary line. The gates were closed for safety. Uh, during the third quarter, the crowd milling around the MCG outside broke the perimeter fence and more people came in. <laughs> uh, so for the following year, ticket sales were first used for the final series to prevent overcrowding. Um, other winners, under-19s, we've got South beating Fitzroy by 20 points. In the reserves, Melbourne beat South Melbourne by 38 points. And the McClellan Trophy winner was Melbourne. Had to be, didn't Had it? Be, yeah. yeah. And we should say also that our leading goal kicker was Bill Young of St Kilda. First year. For the season? For the season, yeah. Really? Bill Young of St Kilda with 56 in 16 games. Wow. Amazing. And there you go. So would you like to hear some uh, retirees before we wrap up? Absolutely. All right, let's cue, cue some of that sad music for me, guys. There we go. All right, so we've got Ron Richards of Collingwood, 143 games, 114 goals, one flag. Neil Mann of Collingwood, 176, 179 games, 155 goals and a flag. I mean, Collingwood is a shedding experience. Yeah, aren't they? Dennis Cordner, yes. 152 games, 82 goals, three flags, one Brownlow. His last game would be the Olympic game, captaining of the MCG. Noel McMahon, who we just chatted to, 175 games, 28 goals, three flags. He's not going to Essendon. He's not going to coach them. No, good. Jeff McGivitt of Melbourne also, 105 games, 53 goals, one flag. Ray Poulter, 170 games for Richmond, 351 goals. Jack McDonnell of St Kilda, 113 games, 133 goals. Vinnie English, 115 games with Carlton. Charlie Sutton, yes. 173 games, 65 goals, and captain coach of Footscray's. 54 flag, then one and only for a long time. Yeah. Ray McConnell of Essendon, 135 games, two flags. Doug Bigelow, 148 games, but he missed both of Essendon's 49 and 50 flags. Oh. Hooker Renfrey of Geelong, another one of their premiership stars, uh, 201 games, 165 goals. Kevin Coughlin of Collingwood and Hawthorne, 90 games, 120 goals. And also, this is the last season that the Argus would ever cover because they closed down in January of 1957. That's a huge retirement. Wow, this time in history. Yeah. So, let's... Shall we wrap things up? Yes. Yes. Let's do it. Um, All right. Moz Premiers. Melbourne Football Club. (laughs) Uh, And the Brownlow medalist. The Brownlow medalist was Cardboard Box. (laughs) Full name, Peter Box. Peter Cardboard Box. There he is. There you go. (laughs) Leading goal kicker, Charles. Leading goal kicker was the young gun, Bill Young. The the Coleman medal. Yes. Yeah, he was the Coleman medalist with 56 goals in 16 games. The wooden spooners, Kazman. North Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Their first wooden spoon for quite a while, actually. They haven't won Mm. one since 1940 Mm. after winning all those Yeah, before that, yeah. Oh, dear. Yes. Um, the highest score for that season was are you with me? Melbourne in the grand final? It no? Wasn't, no, it was Geelong with 19 goals, 15, 129 Close. Huge So not far, Melbourne wasn't far off yeah. in the grand final Kaz Yes Oh, the names The names oh, How can we go oh. So, Donald McDonald won it last <laughs> Oh, no No, sorry, it was Ronald yeah. McDonald Ronald McDonald Ronald McDonald won yeah. it in 50, 55 <laughs> So here's your options Oh, God Charlie Mirandas Del Dozy Budanand Alex Cuthbertson <laughs> Cole Saddington Marshall Younger Gerald Tagliabu Graham Gotch Don Donald Laurie Dwyer Twinkletoes Ken Wolfe The umpire Brian Falconer Max Owsley Maury Pope Brian Buckley Ray Broadway Bruce Bartle Fred Le- Fred Deleu, Dick O'Bree or Graham Fellows 
Did you say butter naan? Getting peckish, Charlie. Bruce Bartle, I don't know. Yeah. No, I didn't say butter naan. <laughs> we love oh, a butter bud, chicken. Bud, bud anan. Bud, bud anan. Yeah, bud anan. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, and we've got Twinkle Toes. Is that is that Laurie Dwyer? Can you do that because it, it, that's a nickname? Uh, Jazz League's getting better. Won it six six seasons in a row. Guys. Oh, okay, we'll give it to Twinkle Toes. Twinkle toes. We've got Broadway's stars going to be on the Broadway. Yeah, yeah. Broadway yeah. Um, it's not lost on me that all four of us are here, and it doesn't happen that often. So no, it's been no. very very nice. Yeah, yeah. nice to all hang it's out. Delightful. Yeah, indeed. First one all together for the year. Yeah. Yes. Let's keep it going. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we'll try. <laughs> well, having said that, and not, we've got massive plans for our 1957 episode. We certainly do. At this stage, that's uh. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Are they? We, what kind of plans? <laughs> uh, uh, We're going in a time machine. We're actually going back to the year. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be great. I'd be on board for that. <laughs> yeah. Marty. Cat's <laughs> yes. spent his holiday with a DeLorean. Yeah. Kitty built a flux capacitor. It's, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> We've done some tests. I think it works. It's <laughs> a dog. <laughs> 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 One of your chow chows. 18, 1885, here we yeah. come. <laughs> All right, well, that's the end of, uh, end of 56. Yeah. We'll look forward okay. to 57 when we'll have TV. Yes. I can't <gasps> wait. And the Olympics will be done. Yep. The MCG will be looking schmick and ready to go. Demons will be allowed yes. back on their ground. <laughs> what a year a great era. it's going to be. Um, we, I want to hear about who else is listening overseas next time. Okay. Whether we get any new states or countries. Are you I can't wait. Anyone in particular? Uh, no, just more. Yeah, always right. more. So yeah. help us out, people. I'm yeah. always. I'm hungry for more. Yeah. Good. <laughs> well, until next time, hooroo! Big Red's local footy roundup or your state and suburban football action, sinking our teeth into grassroots football. G'day again, Kick Team. Little Red's back again. Let's check out what was happening in this great country in the 1956 season. Port Adelaide made it three in a row. They again went through the season only losing one game. And they won the grand final in a canter, again beating West Adelaide, but this time by 16 points. Port made a sweep of the medals, with Rex John winning the Ken Farmer medal with 70 goals, and Dave Boyd the McGarry medal. East Perth took home the flag in WA, finishing on top of the ladder for the home and away season. Although South Fremantle challenged them in the grand final, they never gave up and held on to a 13-point win. Interestingly, Tony Parentich of the losing team was the winner of the Simpson medal for the best on ground. We'll hear his name more and more in the coming episodes. The winner of the Sandover medal was none other than Polly Farmer from East Perth. Leading goal kicker was John Gerovich of South Fremantle, who kicked 74 goals. Williamstown also made it three in a row, although not as easily. They finished on top but got beaten by Port in the semi-final and they had to win the flag the hard way. The grand final was hard fought but a six goal to one final quarter saw them run away with a 24 point victory. The leading goal kicker for the season was Bob Bonnet from Port Melbourne who kicked 88 goals and the JJ Liston trophy winner was won by Jack Martin from Williamstown who polled 41 votes. Other winners in this great land included Sandgate, Sandhurst, Geelong West winning the Ballarat League, Mines Rovers made it two in a row in Kalgoorlie, and Collegians made it three in a row in the VAFA. In Tasmania, the three winners were Olverston, Newtown and City. Kaganya, Heathcote North and St Mary's all went back-to-back winning their respective leagues. Until next time, kick straight. 
find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.